0: The following episode of Annals On Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. And he said, is this how it's supposed to be? Because if this was how it was supposed to be, I would have switched practices a long time ago. And there were times as I would tell this story that I would actually tear up.
1: Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur, I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. Today's podcast is based on an article in the On Being a Doctor section of the Annals. The title of this story is, Is This How It's Supposed to Be?, and the author joins us as the discussant. Dr. Maria Maldonado is in practice of medicine since 2016. Prior to that, she was a program director at the Stanford Hospital in Connecticut. She trained at the primary care internal medicine program at New York Presbyterian and Cornell Medical Center. She's been very active in cross-cultural and patient-centered communication. She served as chair of the Alliance for Academic Internal Medicine's Diversity and Inclusion Committee and was a counselor for the Association of Program Directors in Internal Medicine for three years. I believe that you will find this conversation thought-provoking, as you can already tell from the quotes that preceded this discussion. So Maria, thank you so much for joining us today. I read your article in the On Being a Doctor section of the Annals and I was so struck by the thoughtfulness and the emotions involved in having this kind of an interaction with the patient and then you made that even better by discussing the implications of time with patients and the entire practice of medicine in 2018. So why don't we start out by, just for the people who have not yet read your article, which everyone should, could you sort of retell the story in your own words and how it impacted you?
0: Well, thank you again, Bob, for having me on. And this encounter really resonated with me for a lot of reasons. But briefly, this was a gentleman that I was meeting for the first time. He was 79 years old, born in Guyana, here in the United States for many years, worked as a doorman. And I had 45 minutes for this encounter, which was for a new patient. And I can talk a little bit later about how I came to have that kind of time for a first encounter. And I just took a normal history the way that you do, elicited the details of his past medical history, spent some time understanding who he was as a person. I spent a fair amount of time on the social history And I came to the end of the history, and I asked him to put on a gown, and he looked at me with puzzlement in his eyes. He was wondering why I was asking him to take off his clothes. And I stepped out of the room, came back, did a careful physical exam, and at the end of the exam, he said, you know, I haven't had such a thorough exam like that in as long as I can remember. And I just smiled and then told him to put on his clothes, I was getting ready to step out of the room. And he said something that I just, um, this question has just resonated with me. He said, is this how it's supposed to be? And I just looked at him and he said, because if this was how it was supposed to be, I would have switched practices a long time ago. Now, I should say that he had come to me for the first time because his former primary care physician no longer took his insurance. So that's for another day, right? That's for a conversation for another day. And I kept recounting the story with my colleagues. And there were times as I would tell this story that I would actually tear up thinking about how this man at 79 years old found it a revelation to have a physician just spend the appropriate amount of time that you need in order to get to know him, to understand all of his medical problems, and to understand sort of his hopes and aspirations for his medical issues. So it got me thinking about how we practice medicine in contemporary times. And so that's the story in a nutshell. Well,
1: the story has resonated with many of my colleagues who've read the story. As you may know, and as many of the listeners probably know, I've been writing a blog over the last 16 years, and multiple times during those 16 years, I've written about the importance of time in the patient-doctor, doctor-patient relationship, having the right amount of time. I sometimes compare it to if you go to a lawyer and they're writing up estate planning for you, you don't expect them to be productive and do it in 45 minutes when it really takes five hours. And why do we expect that out of physicians? Now, one of the neat things is that you did have 45 minutes. And as we talked before, you really have negotiated having enough time to see your patients. Could you tell the audience about this? I think there's going to be some jealousy from many practicing physicians who cannot spend as much time with their patients, unfortunately?
0: Yeah, so I think I should be transparent about that. When I was starting with this practice, I was given this choice by the practice about how much time I would need to see new patients and then how much time I would need in follow-up. And so, as most people know, when you go into a practice that's owned by a health system, you generally have a couple of years where there are productivity requirements. And nobody really holds you to it, right, in the first couple of years, because there's an understanding that you're building up your practice and and all of that so I didn't really concern myself with what my productivity was going to be and I should say prior to this I had been in a fairly sheltered world of academic medicine where I was not held to any sort of productivity standards at all so I've had this experience really throughout my career Now, I should say that I'm going into my third year of practice, and there will be this expectation to see a certain amount of patients, although there is great consideration right now being paid to reimbursing physicians based on the quality of care that they're delivering to their patients rather than on this RVU model which I think has a lot of problems. So this was really just something I came up with and I was allowed to do it somehow to just say this is what it is that I need to do. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I've heard from many physicians across the country who have been responding to my article asking, how are you going to do it? How are you going to be able to afford this? How does your organization manage to do this? And I suspect that this is just going to evolve over time. And there's a tiny piece of me that wonders about the timing of my writing this article. So I met this patient within the first year of practice and sort of put it on paper and kept coming back to this essay. And it's interesting that the timing of the publishing of this essay coincides with that sort of protected window of time that you have where you get paid a certain salary without much notice of what your productivity actually is. So I think that people are going to have to come to me in the next year or so uh, to find out how this is all playing itself out. But I've become very convinced that meeting those RVUs and those time requirements are really impossible in today's contemporary practice of primary care.
1: One of the things that you mention as you discuss the patient and the ability to have enough time are the unintended consequences of our current payment system and how that relates to physician wellness, how does that relate to patient satisfaction, and how might it even relate to costs with physicians ordering tests rather than taking a careful history and doing a careful physical exam. Could you expand on that a little bit?
0: So it's no secret, right? It's splashed all over the news that more than 50% of physicians right now are suffering from burnout and a significant percentage of physicians are suffering right now from depression. And I think there are several reasons for why that may be. If you don't have the appropriate amount of time to do the work well, your esteem suffers Part of the wellness that comes from being a primary care physician are those relationships that we build with our patients and the satisfaction of knowing that we were able to positively impact on their wellness and their care and to somehow make that proverbial difference in their lives. When I was a program director, my clinical time was spent in a federally qualified health center where we took care of an underserved patient population that didn't have access timely access to subspecialty care and so we had to really know about all aspects of internal medicine Because we knew we could not just knee-jerk say, this patient has hematuria and so I'm going to send them to a urologist. We really had to work up that patient and hopefully the only thing that needed to happen when they went to the urologist was to get the cystoscopy because as a primary care physician we did not do that procedure but there was a great deal of satisfaction in knowing about all aspects of primary care medicine. And in my current practice, I am really struck by how many of my patients with let's say diabetes that's extremely uncomplicated, you know, well controlled on one medication like metformin, but they are seeing an endocrinologist for their care. And at first, this really sort of stunned me that this was going on, and I came to understand that physicians just didn't have enough time to address this patient's diabetes along with all of the other things that needed to be addressed. And in terms of taking a careful history, right? If you don't take a careful history, you are going to be afraid that you're going to miss things, right? If you don't have the time to know your patient and understand that they're suffering from anxiety or suffering from depression or the symptoms that they're presently having is mirroring the symptoms of a loved one's symptoms that led to a diagnosis of cancer, you are going to knee-jerk order the CAT scan and order a lot of tests that are clearly not indicated. And had you put in the time and prescribed the tincture of time, you could avoid making unnecessary referrals, you could avoid ordering unnecessary tests, and so on and so forth. There's so much duplication in our present healthcare system right now. And I think that this is costing us a lot more money than if we were just given the appropriate amount of time to figure out what's actually going on with our patients.
1: Now, some people would argue that this has been the appeal of direct primary care, and let's define direct primary care Combination of cash only practices when if you need a 15 minute visit with a doctor, it costs this much, if you need a 30 minute visit, it costs this much, and the patient knows ahead of time how much they're paying, or retainer practices. And there are retainer practices that we might call concierge where you're paying enormous amounts of money for the physician time, but there are other retainer models where the physician does not have as large a patient panel as you might have in a private practice, but there are ways to get people with less resources into those practices and have some balance. There's a lot of pushback on this compared to the way most people practice, but might this whole time thing be the motivation behind physicians going into these, and what problems do you see?
0: Yeah, I certainly understand why some of my colleagues have opted to practice in these models that you've just described. It is, for many physicians, the only way to survive and the only opportunity to practice medicine in the way that they hope that they would be able to do. And while I understand it, one of the principles that the Institute of Medicine states is necessary for the delivery of care steeped in quality is equity. And so part of my problem with this kind of practice is this one of equity, because this is only being able to deliver primary care the way that it should be delivered to a privileged view, okay? Okay. I heard from one of my colleagues who practices in one of these models, and what has happened for him, clearly he practices in a way that he can feel good about it, but he sees about a third of the patients that he used to see when he was in regular primary care. What does that do for access for everyone in this country, right? What are we going to do to make sure that we are delivering equitable access to the population in the United States? And I am fortunate too, so I work in a health system where it is private practice, but a significant percentage of my patient population has Medicaid and managed Medicaid, and that is really important to me. And the idea that I could deliver a similar standard of care to my patients who have Medicaid to those who have private insurance is something that is deeply gratifying to me. I see why people are departing primary care. The problem is, is that if we were all on the same page, if we could all conceive of a similar vision and mission for what the delivery of primary care should be in this country, and we were to push back perhaps we could, as a group, come up with better solutions for what is going on. We live in a deeply fragmented system that in a lot of ways are broken. So I just feel that we need to sort of come together and figure out solutions to take care of the population of the United States.
1: To wrap this up, you were a program director for a number of years, and I remember you talking about how your residents actually didn't have enough time to see patients because they were on a productivity model, or at least the program was on a productivity model. If you were to go back as a program director or give advice to program directors, how should we structure the training of internists so that more will do primary care and that they're trained properly?
0: So I think it really does come down to ensuring that our trainees have the time that they need. The ACGME has just put out a report, this clinical learning environment review report that just came out in August of 2016. It talks about the fact that trainees are frequently responsible for being the safety net for our nation's patients. And so frequently they're taking care of the most vulnerable of our patients. And it's a truism that those who are the most vulnerable probably need more resources, but unfortunately less resources are brought to bear for those who need it the most. And residents frequently are witnessing that kind of disconnect. And the ACGM me puts this line in the middle of their report that says, what kinds of institutional supports are brought to bear to help residents care for these populations at risk? Because if those resources and supports are not brought to bear, our trainees are going to suffer from burnout. And they are witnessing their faculty members sort of struggling to take care of a patient population without the appropriate supports. Now, time is our most precious commodity, and I think that we need to push back to put education at the core of this. How is it that residents are expected to meet certain productivity standards when they have the least amount of experience? And how is it that faculty are not given sort of the dwell time and space and reflection that they need to truly train their trainees in these areas of communication? How do we mitigate disparities? How do we take care of all of the problems that the patient has? So enough time, enough resources, more prioritization of education is clearly needed. If we don't do that, our trainees will continue to go into the so-called road specialties like radiology, ophthalmology, anesthesiology, dermatology, because of those lifestyle issues. Because they see they don't have enough models where they see that it works. They witness a lot of frustration with the system. And so I think we need to fix the system. We need to prioritize education. And perhaps that is a way that we can have more people going into private. Primary care because it's critical. The practice of primary care is really critical.
1: Well, Maria, thank you so much again for the article that you wrote that has made all of us think, and I knew that you would be able to expand on those concepts and give a lot of food for thought. These are difficult questions we're asking. We almost all disagree with how payment is done, how documentation is done, But you've put a real personal face into this and really focused on how does this end up impacting the patient and how the patient views the healthcare system through their primary care physician. So once again, thank you for participating in this. And I'm sure that all the listeners will have their thought processes stimulated by your understanding of these problems.
0: Thank you so much, Bob. It was a real pleasure to talk to you today.
1: Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This story really struck a nerve in my mind, both in thinking about being a patient and thinking about being a physician. I've often written about the value of time and both Dr. Maldonado and myself believe that sufficient time is necessary for the best patient experience, the best doctor experience, and the best provision of good internal medicine primary care. If we cannot develop a payment system that rewards us spending appropriate time with patients, rather than charts, we will continue to have spiraling costs and burned out physicians. I think this is an important message, and like Dr. Maldonado, I'm not sure that I know the solution, but we all must stand up and do what we can to make sure that we spend the right amount of time with our patients. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion.
0: For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org oncall on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.